The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campus Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we don't always, well, mark that, we normally don't have enough time to get around to all the live comments and questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure you guys don't have to wait too awful long to get those questions answered. So what we do is we gather them up here and we address them on companion videos. And uh, this was kind of a last-second decision, kind of like the last time we did. I was going to do... I knew I wanted to do a companion video today, and hello to everybody who's here and jumped in on the live stream uh, already. I mean, it's, I mean, geez, we've already got 100 people. I just posted this like 10 minutes ago that we were going to do this. Once again, I was going to record a companion video. I thought, ah, why not do it live? My Maple Leafs are playing right now, too, so I've got it recording on the YouTube DVR, uh, so I'll watch the third period of that after. But been a busy weekend already. I uh, had spent a lot of great time with Ann. We went out for breakfast this morning. Then we went and bought a bunch of plants for around the yard and stuff like that. By the way, Donaldo Martinez sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Donaldo. Appreciate that, man. Um, and I uh, watched a little bit of Lucifer, uh, then worked in my house. Then we're, we're having a Memorial Day barbecue tomorrow with some family. So we did a bunch of stuff today to get ready for that. And then tomorrow, Ann and I are going to the Laker game. We're going to go to the uh, Lakers-Suns game. What is it? Game four? I think it's game four uh, tomorrow. So we're excited about that. So we're going to go to the Laker game. That's at 1230. And then we're going to come back here, have the family over, have a Memorial Day barbecue. So I thought, man, if I'm going to do a companion video this weekend, we better do it right now. And I thought, well, why not do it live and give all of us a chance to get together here and chat and say hello to each other. So it's good to have you guys here. Thanks for joining us. And now let's not waste any time and get right to those questions, shall we? We're going to pick get picked up here with BK Dan, who writes, uh, John, did you see that Bad Batch episode five is named after you? LOL, Rampage. Uh, just kidding. Had to have a bit of a laugh. Hopefully you did too. All right, thanks for sending that in, BK. And listen, let me talk for a second about uh, Bad Batch. Now, I did not like uh, the Bad Batch that were in Clone Wars Season 7. I thought those episodes, I'll just be frank, they sucked. Those episodes sucked, in my opinion. So I really was not looking forward to, and by the way, the Macho Punk uh, sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat, as does Anton Riley in the Super Chat uh, uh, there. So thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Send that in the live feed. Um, So... The first episode of Bad Batch, they sent it to me early. They actually sent me the first two episodes of Bad Batch early. And I was surprised how much I enjoyed episode one, which was like over an hour long. It was like 71, 72 minutes long or something like that. And it was actually, it was actually pretty good. And I was totally shocked because I was not expecting to like it because I hated the Bad Batch episodes and and the other thing there. So I didn't think it was going to be any good. So I watched it, and I actually thought it was really solid. Episode two, I didn't like as much. I have since watched episodes three and four, and I think I can now officially call it I don't like Bad Batch. 
I wish I did. I, I enjoyed the first episode that hour and 10 hour and 15 minute long first episode. I actually dug it. And I remember I did a video about it, but I have become less and less of a fan as the shows progress. So episode two, episode three, episode four, apparently episode five is out now. I haven't seen episode five. So then, by the way, Jason, uh, clutchy sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate that, man. Um, so yeah, I, I'm officially off Bad Batch. I, I've tapped out. Uh, I gave it four episodes. Like the first one, haven't liked any of the rest, so I'm I'm kind of tapped out of it at this point, unfortunately. All right, next up. Luke1234 writes, Are there any movies you've grown to appreciate as you've gotten older? For me, it's Mr. Holland's Opus and Pleasantville. Pleasantville is actually a good one. That's one that I didn't like very much. Uh, when I first saw it, and then it was many years later that I think we were with some friends and we ended up watching it again one night and I liked it a lot more the second time. There, there's not a lot of movies that I like a lot more the second time I see it. Like Inglorious Bastards is one. I like that. Like I hated that movie the first time I saw it. Then I saw it the second time. I'm like, why didn't I like this movie before? I love this movie. Uh, but Pleasantville's a good a good example of that. Um, I'd say the Godfather, I mean, because the Godfather was, um, well, I saw it initially when I was pretty young. So I was in my early teenage years and I don't think I knew how to fully appreciate it. And then when I watched it again later, it's like, this is like the greatest movie ever made. And, and then, you know, you're just appreciation for it grows. So that's a good question, man. Those are some of the ones that, uh, that come on, uh, that, uh, come to my mind. All right. Next up, uh, BK Dan writes. John, just my prediction of merger, Discovery and Warner Brother equals Warner Max. A lot of people have been predicting that. A lot of people think the new name of this streaming service that Discovery and Warner Media are going to have, and they think it's going to be changed from HBO Max to Warner Max, and will be uh, will be the name of the streaming service, and it'll go to $20 instead of $15. I, I buy into the Warner Max idea. I think Warner Max is a very, very solid guess. Again, I don't know if that's what they're going to call it or not, but I think that's a solid guess. I don't think they're going to increase the price to $20, at least not initially. Because at $15, it's already in the high end of what the streaming services cost. And while I do think all the streaming services are going to increase their price over the next couple of years, as will Warner Max, I think they're going to stick when they when they relaunch the new service, Warner Max. I think it will stay at $15. We'll see, though. We will see. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Biggs rights. The irony, Amazon now owns the rights to my favorite film, 1987's RoboCop, and the trademark, Omni Consumer Products, the multinational uh, conglomerate attempting to commodify and privatize everything under the sun, and now it's Amazon. Yeah, I mean, it, seriously, Aaron brought this up the other day, but it's really damn true. You cannot help but admire but now, remember, my wife no longer works for Amazon, so I can say whatever I want about them. But you cannot help but admire this plucky little startup company that initially got going with the exclusive premise of selling books online. That was it. That's all they did. You went to Amazon to buy books you know, going to the bookstore is very yesterday. And that's why there's chapters and Barnes and Nobles and everything have been going out of business like crazy. 
but it was all about just buying books online and it took off and then they started to expand and now people buy their freaking groceries on Amazon. They buy their groceries on Amazon now. Hell, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you right now. You know, Anna, you, if you follow me on social media, you saw that I finally bought a barbecue for my backyard. And uh, and I, I needed a cover for it. So I went to Lowe's and bought the barbecue. But I realized, oh, I should keep it covered, you know, with the sun beating on it. So I literally just earlier today got on Amazon, ordered a barbecue cover. The place that you use to just buy books. I'm now buying barbecue covers from it. I mean, listen. So And then, then they're like the number one online... Um, service provider for online hosting and online services like they i think they drive netflix uses amazon's back end and all that kind of stuff they have grocery services delivery services technology wings they have one of the big streaming services in the world i listen say all you want about amazon and there is a lot of things to say about amazon including negative there's there's a lot of things you can say but you at least have to admit it's you can't help but admire where they took this little startup and to where it is now. It, it is pretty impressive. Um, by the way, uh, my kid banana sends in a super chat badge in the live chat there. Thank you, my kid banana. I appreciate that, man. All right, let's move on here. Uh, thanks for that, Biggs. Next up, we got Russell Amador who writes, uh, Hey, John. Wow. So a quiet place Two was an awesome follow-up. John did it again with tension being John Krasinski, not me. Uh, John did it again. Uh, with tension building moments and expanding the world of quiet place during the trailers did notice old, uh, and snake eyes, the new M night movie old and the new upcoming GI Joe origins movie snake eyes have the same release date, uh, which will you see opening night? Well, the reality is I'll probably see both before opening night, uh, probably so, but if, but if it came down to it, listen, this new M night movie old looks pretty good. It, lo- it looks pretty damn good. Uh, I like this trailer a lot. And uh, yes, it did play before A Quiet Place. But I'm going to see, if it came down to it and it's opening night of both films, and by the way, Marie, Sing- Marie Seifring sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Marie, with a little on-set badge in there. Thank you, Marie. Um, if it came down to it, who am I kidding? I'm going to go watch Snake Eyes. Are you saying Snake Eyes is going to be the better film? Oh, I'm not saying Snake Eyes is going to be the better movie. Old looks pretty good, but I am a sucker for this stuff. First of all, I love Henry Golding. I think this dude is blowing up. I think he's going to continue to blow up. I think this is going to be a great actioneer for him. It's Snake Eyes. It's ninjas. It's sword fighting. Yeah, I'm going to go see that movie before I go see a haunted beach where people get old really fast. Again, I think that movie looks great and I am looking forward to seeing it, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't going to be going to see snake eyes first when the options come down to it. Uh, so that's just me, no matter, no matter how bad it ends up being. And maybe it'll be great. Maybe listen, Henry Golding is a hot star right now for him to agree to be in snake eyes must mean they had something good in the script. That doesn't mean it won't turn out to be bad, and maybe it will turn out to be horrible. Like I said, if I had to guess right now, my guess is old will be the better movie. But I'm a sucker for ninjas, so I'm going to go see the ninja movie. Forgive me. All right, next up. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Nicholas Pereira Pereira writes, finally saw the new Joker movie. Wow, that took a little bit. Uh, This is just what we needed. Now just wait. Um, Just effing wait for the news that... 
for the news that will announce a Harley and Ivy movie. It's coming. Margot Robbie talked about it. We know it uh, with Tessa Thompson for Ivy. Let's start the bets. Well, yeah, listen, don't get ahead of yourself, though. Yes. And we talked about this on the John Campion show a week or two ago. Margot Robbie has come out and mentioned that she has been constantly hounding the execs at Warner to do a Harley and Poison Ivy movie. Now, listen, in the Harley Quinn animated show, legitimately, I say this without being facetious. The romance between Harley and Poison Ivy is one of my favorite romances on TV. And I say that without an ounce of irony. I really do mean that. It's great. I would love to see. And by the way, in the uh, live chat there, we have both the Poor Productions sends in a Super Chat badge. Thanks for that. And also Douglas Armstrong uh, sends in a noob Super Chat badge Thank in the live chat. Thank you for that, guys. Um Yeah, she says she's been hounding and pestering the WB execs to do Harley and Poison Ivy. And listen, I'm all for it, especially after watching, seeing the dynamic in um, in the animated show. Obviously, live action would be different, but I am all for it. That is my favorite romance in comics right now. Uh, In anything comic book related on the screen, animated form, live action, whatever, Harley and Poison Ivy. Now, it's important to note, though, that they did not say Warner Brothers is greenlit it or that they're actually saying yes to her. She just says, listen, I'm constantly badgering them about it. So maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. Uh, I'd say it's probably 50 50 that this movie gets made. I'm, I'm all for it. I am totally all for it if they do. But, uh, I mean, it's certainly not a for sure thing, but I'll be down for it if they do. Uh, by the way, Dark Shadow 254 sends in like a $20 Super Chat badge saying, thanks for being you. Well, thank you, Dark Shadow. I appreciate that, man. Thank you very much, dude. That's really nice. Um, all right, let's move on here. Next up, Ryan Loner writes, halfway through Lucifer season 5B, I'm only two episodes in because Lucifer is one of those shows that I cannot watch without Anne. All right, all right, all of you who are in relationships, you know what I'm talking about. There are shows you can watch on your own, but there are shows that you are risking your relationship if you move ahead and start watching it without your partner. Lucifer is one of those shows. So I am now two episodes in because that's all the time Anne had for it. So I'm two episodes in. Or was, or is it three? It might be three. Did I get through the third? Am I, okay, for argument's sake, let's say it's the third episode I got through. Anyway. Halfway through Lucifer season 5B, I very much get the idea that everyone was thinking the show is on its way out. So if anyone has some wacky idea you've been afraid to pitch, now's the time and I am so into it. I'll tell you what, I am lo- this is a very different season of Lucifer. Season 5B has been very different. Now you got to remember, shooting season 5, they were completely under the understanding that this is it. This is it. This is the final season. Netflix said this is the final season. It's done. But then I guess they really liked what they saw. And out of nowhere, they greenlit a season six. And then they got all the cast and Tom Ellis was the last guy to sign on. But they finally got Tom Ellis to sign on. And there is now going to be a season six next year sometime, I suppose. But they made this season five completely believing it was it. Now, I got as far, I can't remember if it was episode two or three, but there is an episode of the new half season of Lucifer where, you know, God is there now and God is making people 
break into song and dance numbers when they're trying to express a thought or a feeling. Like whenever somebody's making an observation or is trying to say something profound, all of a sudden, without their knowledge, they're actually breaking into these giant song and dance numbers that God is kind of orchestrating. And listen, in theory, that sounds terrible, but I ate it up. But particularly, you got to understand, my favorite stage play of all time is Les Mis. Les Mis is my all-time favorite live stage production. And there's a scene in that episode of Lucifer where Lucifer starts singing some Les Mis. So I'm like, okay, my all-time favorite stage production is crossing with one of my favorite TV shows. This is glorious for me. So, yeah, I've been, uh, I, I've been, I've been eating up so far. So I'm only a couple episodes in, but I have been eating up what I've been seeing so far, even though you can tell. I think you're absolutely right, Ryan. You can tell that this is what they thought was going to be their final season, and they're just kind of going with this these wild ideas. But I'm digging it so far. I really am. All right, next up, Playmaker writes, Hey, John, two shows that I really enjoyed but never got a second season were The Society on Netflix. I'm not familiar with it. Uh, still bitter about it. And The River on ABC. Again, never heard of it, uh, which I guess is why it's only got one season, I suppose. Uh, are there any shows that you love? Their first season ended on a cliffhanger and they never got a second season. Well, you guys who watch me for any period of time, you know the show I'm going to say, right? It's the Jason Isaac show, Awake. It ended on this big cliffhanger where he was finally going to find, he goes through this doorway where he's about to find out why does he wake up on on even number days in a reality where his wife is alive but his son is dead and then he wakes up on odd number days in a reality where his wife where his son survived but his wife is dead and he's about to find out at the end of season 1 and the sons of bitches canceled the show so yes for those of you who watch me for it I I really like that show awake and I love Jason Isaacs in it. And I was very, very pissed off that they canceled it out of nowhere. All right. Uh, let's see. My comic planet writes one of two. Hey, John. So I saw a quiet place Two last night and oh my God, uh, you know how tense you get when sitting in the dentist chair, your hands grip the chair, your back tenses up and you're scared to feel any pain. That's how I felt through most of that movie. LOL. Um, uh, when most sequels we see these days fail, Krasinski breaks the mold. I love the chemistry between Murphy and Simmons, uh, 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 Millicent Simmons, the, uh, the the daughter in the in the movie. And thank God the people in the theater I, I was in behaved and kept quiet. Uh, it would have ruined the movie were they not. All right. So, yeah, listen, I did my right out of the theater review of A Quiet Place Part 2. You guys know it has been my number one most anticipated movie this year because the first Quiet Place was my number one movie of 2018. Uh, just over Black Klansman, just over in third spot, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But I thought A Quiet Place was the best movie of 2018. Loved it. This did not disappoint. Even though I went in with sky-high expectations... Like sky high expectations. Even though I went in with all these expectations and an enormous amount of hype, this movie delivered. And, you know, I, I had a bunch of people writing to me like on my Twitter feed and everything, like saying things like, man, this is a sequel that does it right. And you just mentioned it yourself, Comic Plans. Like this like, as a sequel, this thing really nails it, right? And I started thinking last night about why, what is it about Quiet Place? Because, you know, a lot of sequels don't work. What was it about A Quiet Place that 
makes it work so well. Why does a Quiet Place sequel work where other sequels fail? You know, where other sequels uh, just don't work and they fail and all that kind of stuff. Why does that happen? And here's my best thoughts on this right now. Quiet Place 2 seemed, John Krasinski's thought process seems to have been, I'm just guessing here, but seems to have been what I think will make for a successful sequel. Because what happens is a lot of times sequels come out and they're totally different movies. There are two key mistakes that often happen with a lot of sequels. Number one, they totally make the sequel a completely different kind of movie than the original was. It's like, hey, man, where are all the things that we loved about the first movie? They're all gone. Uh, I mean, what's a good example of that? Iron Eagle 2 is a great example of that, right? But, you know, that happens. Or they make the opposite mistake. Man, they just made the same movie as the last one. A good example of that is the tremendous Billy Crystal, Robert De Niro comedy, uh, Analyze This, and then it's, which was awesome. Analyze This is, if you've never seen Billy Crystal, Robert De Niro's Analyze This, you got to watch it. It's awesome. It's hilarious. Great comedy. But then they did the sequel, Analyze That, and all they really did was make the same movie. John Krasinski, his strategy in writing and directing this second one, he found that middle ground. He was like, okay, what are the things that people loved about A Quiet Place? What made A Quiet Place work? The tension, the atmosphere, the little things that cause great stress. Like one of my favorite scenes in any horror movie ever, uh, and by the way, uh, population 420 sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, population. Um, you know, one of my favorite scenes in any horror movie ever is from the first Quiet Place movie with just that damn nail sticking out of the stairs. You know, other horror, other people, who lesser filmmakers who try to do horror, it's like, okay, you're going to have something gives people tension. Make the big three-headed monster with its teeth and going blah, and that's what's going to create tension. Okay, that's fine, and sometimes that works great. But John Krasinski, it's like no scene in any movie the last 10 years has ripped my guts into pieces over tension like seeing Emily Blunt slowly walking down the stairs and knowing there's this one little freaking rusty nail sticking up in the stairs. And I'm like, ah, 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 and she's heading down the stairs and you know her foot's about to go on it. And I'm like, I, I'm bleeding out of my ears. I'm like, ah, the tension is killing me. So John Krasinski understands that these are the elements, these are the things that just really made people attached to it. So let's take those elements and let's build on those. Like, oh my God, guys, I'm not going to spoil anything. So I'm going to keep this very vague. But like in part two, in Quiet Place part two, there's this freaking scene where a person is trying to step through a window, you know, get through a window and onto a table. But you see on a table is like a stack of cassette tapes. And you're like, oh my God, she's going to over the tapes who the hell cares in any movie if somebody knocks over some tapes but in this just like oh a little nail sticking out of his hair in this movie you're like your insides are being shredded to pieces from all the stress 
flowing through and you feel like your head's about to explode from your blood pressure rising from these little things, from these little things. So John Krasinski was like, okay, let's focus in on those elements that really worked in the first film. Let's take a couple of elements that didn't work so well and let's improve upon those. And then making sure we're not just telling the same story, let's actually progress the story without abandoning the things that made the first one work, but without falling back on just doing the same movie. And that seemed to be Krasinski's overall philosophy. Because when you sit down and watch A Quiet Place 2, and again, I'm not going to give away any spoilers here, but when you sit down and watch A Quiet Place 2, that's exactly what he did. They built on the things that already worked. They doubled down and improved a couple of the small things that didn't quite work all that great in the first one. They made them better. They, re- they refused to just make the same movie. Instead, they truly did the move. They moved the movie. Sto- uh, let me rephrase that. They moved the story forward. And it was like, so this is a quiet place that we know and love. But the story's progressed now, and we've moved into a new area of it. It's now post the events of that one. And again, I find that a lot of sequels make one of those two mistakes. They abandon the things that worked in the first one, or they just fall back into the first one far too much. Krasinski found the middle ground, and he just did. And Killian Murphy was such a great addition to this. Like a really great addition. And he doesn't even have a lot of lines. Nobody has a lot of lines in A Quiet Place. But... He just did such a great job. And yeah, anyway. And by the way, Jesse Keller sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate that, man. Um, So yes, yes. Those are a bunch of the reasons why I believe that A Quiet Place 2 works so well as a sequel where a lot of other uh, sequels do not work. So that's just kind of my thoughts on that. All right. Thanks for sending that in, My Comic Planet. All right. Next up. Uh, we've got my comic plan also writes in one of two, John, I have to report on this new show. I started watching on HBO max. It's called warrior. I've got a couple of my friends that talk. Actually, my buddy, Dennis, he, he, like he posts on social media about warrior all the time anyway uh called warrior and holy shit it's great i didn't think i would like it but after the first episode i ended up binging the entire uh the entire two seasons in three days lol the fighting scenes are incredible and all the women are hot and totally badasses a lot of sex and violence bring on the filthy highly recommend it well you had me at sex and violence (laughs) well now let me back that up you had me at fighting scenes are incredible And then you just sealed the deal with sex and violence. There we go. I'm an easy man to please. I am an easy man to please. But no, seriously. I've heard from a bunch of people um, that that this warrior show is quite good. I know very little about it. I haven't seen any of it. So I don't really, like I said, I don't know much about it. I haven't seen hardly anything about it. I think I saw one preview for it once. Uh, and I never really gave it the time of day, but I keep hearing from people that's really good. And I think I'm going to have to move that up my queue list pretty quick here, Comic Plants. Check it out. Thanks for adding your voice to the growing cacophony of recommendations for Warrior. I'll have to check it out. And by the way, uh, Kyle Haruf sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate that, man. Uh, next up, The Sock writes. 
My top 10 most anticipated movies of 2021. Number 10, I Carry You With Me on VOD. Number 9, Werewolves Within. Number 8, Dear Evan Hansen. That was a trailer that came out that really popped it on my radar. Uh, Number 7, Snake Eyes, which we talked about. Number 5, Suicide Squad. Number number 6, Suicide Squad. Number 5, The Last Duel. That's interesting because, well, I mean, look at the people involved with it, right? With The Last Duel. You've got Ridley, I believe it's Ridley Scott directing it. And you've got the return of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon on screen together again. So there's, and then, you know, it's a kind of period piece driven. There's a lot to like and be excited about The Last Duel. Uh, number four, Top Gun Maverick. Number three, The Green Knight, which we've talked about a lot lately. Number two, Spider-Man No Way Home. And number one, Shang-Chi. I mean, not a lot of people are putting Shang-Chi at number one. But I tell you what, I really did like the trailer. Uh, it's not high on my list right now. But I am very much looking forward to that movie, Sock. I, I thought the trailer was really fun. And obviously, Simu Lu coming out of Kim's Convenience. I love Kim's Convenience. So <clears throat> I'm really cheering for him in this one here. All right. Uh, an Iconic Reaction sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Iconic. Appreciate that, dude. All right. Let's keep things going, shall we? And we move on next here to uh, Ejecto Cito Cuz writes, Hey, John, first time uh, send in, but have to say, thank you for being here, man. But have to say the only good Fast and Furious films are the first three. I hate the first three. Uh, the second one may be the best. Thanks for the great daily content you provide. Yeah, listen, I, first of all, I started off, my relationship with Fast and the Furious totally started off on the wrong foot. Because the first Fast and the Furious movie is nothing but a blatant shot-for-shot, plot-point-by-plot-point ripoff of the um, Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves film, Point Break, which is a far superior movie. And Fast and the Furious is literally a plot-point-by-plot-point-by-plot-point, absolute, direct, blatant ripoff of that movie. So my relationship with Fast and the Furious didn't start off so good. Because I just thought it was a garbage franchise from the beginning. I thought two was horrible. I thought three was horrible. It wasn't until Fast and Furious 4 that came out that I went, you know what? That wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. Four is kind of where they started to change the identity of the franchise a little bit. At any rate, I know several people really, really do like that those first Fast and the Furious movies. I know there's some of them that I think they're, they're the best ones. I get it. But to me, I hate all three of the first ones. But that's just me personally. I really like four, five, six, seven. I even like eight. Nine is complete garbage. But anyway, hopefully 10 will get it back on track. All right. And uh, by the way, I can't believe we have like over 400 people in the live chat right now when we literally just gave 10 minutes notice about doing this live stream. We had gave like 10 minutes notice popped up this live stream. We got like over 400 people in the live chat. Hello to everybody in the live chat. Thanks for being here guys. And join uh, as we all just hang out and talk a little bit of movie stuff. All right. We still got a few minutes here uh, left. Then I got to go and help my wife get ready for our uh, Memorial day barbecue stuff tomorrow. All right. Next up alpha. O writes one of three MCU villain motivations, Obadiah greed, Thunderbolt and Abomination, Dickish Patriotism and Self-Challenge, Ivan V and Justin Hammer, Revenge and Unhealthy Competition, Loki and Laufey, Validation and Conquest, Red Skull, God Complex, Loki, Self-Superiority, Aldrich K, Humiliation, Malekith, uh, 
uh, colonization, Ronin, revenge, Ultron, programming error, uh, yellow jacket, greed, uh, Cassilius, self-righteousness, ego, loneliness. I never thought about it that way. That's actually a pretty good observation. Uh, vulture, restitution, Hella, family betrayal, claw and killmonger, greed, and abandonment slash anger. Uh, Thanos, purpose, ghost, and Birch, fatal condition and greed, supreme, uh, the supreme AI, shenanigans, Thanos, endgame, delusional grandeur, Mysterio, uh, revenge and greed, Agatha, uh, Agatha and Wanda, power, thirst and lost pain, John, uh, uh, John, oh, 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 what's Walker, uh, John Walker and Carly accomplishment and restitution. That's actually a nice breakdown, Alpha O. I mean, I would change a couple of the ones that you have in there, but that's actually a really good breakdown, uh, just, you know, putting a general idea on that. You know what it does, too? It really does paint a nice picture about... This is a great example of how the way MCU has stayed on top of the mountain is by constantly changing it up. The movies aren't the same, you know? Ant-Man is very different from Winter Soldier. Uh WandaVision is incredibly different from Iron Man 3 and so on and so forth. And they are constantly changing up and they do with their villains as well. And listen, the MCU hasn't traditionally been super solid with their villains, right? I mean, none of them have been particularly terrible except for Malekith. Malekith was a really bad and and uh, freaking what's his name? Uh, Mickey Rourke was a terrible villain in Iron Man 2. But Whatever, they haven't all been particularly strong villains, but they do change them up a lot and, and give them different, their own unique perspectives, their own unique motivations. And again, they don't always knock it out of park with their villains, right? They don't always get a Loki or a Thanos, right? Sometimes you get a Malekith, but they at least always try to mix up and keep even the motivations of their villains kind of... Uh, at the front of their thinking. And you got to respect that. All right, uh, let's move on here. But before we do, John Salvi and uh, My Kid Banana both send in Super Chat badges in the live chat. Thank you, John and My Kid Banana. Appreciate that, guys. All right, let's keep things going here. Next up, we got Garrett Couch, who writes, with the new Nemesis movie, which I cannot wait for. I cannot wait for Nemesis. I kid you not. Listen, we... Movie fans, we talk in hyperbole a lot. We do. And I, I'm not immune to that. I do as well. But I am not kidding when I mention that um, Nemesis has the potential to maybe be the greatest comic book movie of all time. When you look at, you know, they got Academy Award winner writing the script Based on source material, the Nemesis comic story is absolutely phenomenal and amazing. I, I'm not being facetious when I say it has the potential. I mean, it could be terrible. It might turn out to be garbage, but it's got the potential, I think, to be like maybe the greatest comic book movie ever made, depending on how it's executed. But anyway, Garrett writes, uh, with the new Nemesis movie, I had read that the comic itself is a Marvel offshoot brand. Uh, how were they able to get a character so close to Batman in a Marvel comic? Does that present problems for the movie? Thanks. It really isn't. It's, it's really not a Batman character at all. Listen, when you're trying to describe Nemesis to somebody, the best way to paint the picture is to use a Batman comparison. Because what you've got is a guy with no superpowers who is very rich, 
I mean, you could be you could be talking about Bruce Wayne, you could be talking about Cord, you could be talking about Tony Stark, you could be talking about a lot of different guys. You could be talking about Zorro for heaven's sakes. But in Nemesis, you have a guy um, who is super rich, extremely at the peak of physical perfection. The difference is he's a homicidal maniac and he's a killer. And he plays this dangerous game uh, with this uh, police captain that he's got it out for. And so the, the easiest way to paint that picture when describing the idea of Nemesis is to do a comparison to Batman. But if you read Nemesis, um, if you read Nemesis, you'll see it's it's not Batman. I mean, it really isn't. It's, it's not Batman. Yes, rich dudes. Yes, super physically capable. But it, it really isn't Batman. And so them making this story is not going to be complicated by the fact that, oh, they're going to be stepping on DCIP. They're really not. They're really not. And I, again, I get the question because whenever you hear people trying to describe it, we use Batman as the example. So I get it. But once you read it yourself, you'll see that there really isn't going to be too much of a uh, of a thing there. And it is. I remember, man, it was the first comic that John Schnepp ever gave me and said, like, you got to read this because I was like a lot of you. I had never read Nemesis. And the first time and Schnepp gave me a lot of comics over the years. But the very first one John Schnepp ever gave me, he said, dude, you got to read this. Got got to read this as Nemesis, son. You know that the way only John Schnepp could say it. And he gave me this graphic novel, Nemesis, and I just ate it up. I just ate it up. And uh, yeah, and so he uh, Schnepp never steered me wrong. Schnepp never steered me wrong on, on great stuff. So and I cannot wait for this thing to get made into a movie. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, man. All right, next up, Alpha O writes. I forgot Civil War, uh, Zemo, Civil War, and Iron Man, Lost Revenge. Uh, but Zemo really wasn't a villain in, um, oh, but you're talking specifically about Civil War. I thought we were talking about uh, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, Civil War and, and Iron Man, Lost Revenge, and Conviction slash Loss. Zemo, Falcon and Winter Soldier, World Safety. Again, he's not really a villain in Falcon and Winter Soldier, but still. By the way, been a fan for eight years. And what I love about you is your dedication and discipline. As long as you'll be doing this, I'll keep listening, so keep it up. Well, thank you so much, man, and thank you for being around for as long as that. You know, it's it's always amazing to me when people write in and, you know, say, like been following you since the man of steel review still the number one thing I always hear when people write in to say about when they started watching me or, or came across content that I was doing the, um, uh, the man of steel review is still the number one thing I get. But then I get a lot of people, you know, say, you know, I started watching you when you were running collider or we started watching you when you were running AMC or, the real OGs, the real OGs are the one that's like, man, I've been following you since the movie blog days because that's where I got my start. I started up a little website called the movie blog, blew up and, you know, 
brought AMC contacted me and said, Hey, we want to start an online thing. We think you should run it. Do you want to do it? I said, yes, here we are, blah, blah, blah. But, but it's always great to hear from people who say, you know, we just started watching your content a few months ago to people like you, man, who are saying you've been watching for eight years. So thank you so much, dude, for being around that long and, and really making this, the community feel like home because it's like people like you who've literally been a part of it for so long so thank you so much for that man all right uh by the way my kid banana sends in another super chat badge uh in the live chat a ten dollar one thank you man i appreciate that as well as the delusional patriots fan aren't we all right now uh the delusional patriots fan also sends in a super chat badge so thanks for that guys appreciate the support okay we still got a couple of minutes left here let's get through a couple more here shall we uh an anonymous viewer writes in Hey, John and Rob, if you're still there, obviously this was days ago. So no, Rob's not here right now. Uh, I've missed your live show for a while due to work, but always catch up with the main topics. Sorry if you've answered this before, but what is your opinion on Mayans MC and season three's new feel in particular? Yeah, Ann and I, that's another one of the shows that Ann and I must watch together is Mayans because we were we got into uh, Sons of Anarchy together, watched all of Sons of Anarchy together, loved it so much that Ann and I actually came like this close to buying Harleys for ourselves because we wanted we wanted to be like Sons of Anarchy driving around, right? Um, so that's how close. So when Mayans MC popped up, I wasn't even going to give it a chance. It was like, ah, come on, it's going to be a poor man's version of Sons of Anarchy. Yes, it's a spinoff of Sons of Anarchy. Yes, there are going to be a couple of familiar characters who like pop up here and there. But I didn't really give it a shot until sometime after the show started. And then I was like, you know what? It's not as good as Sons of Anarchy. Well, Sons of Anarchy is in my top to- my top three all-time favorite shows. Like top three all-time. Right. So that's a high, high bar. So I don't think mine's is as good as Sons of Anarchy, but it's good. And Edward James Olmos, Admiral Adama from Battlestar Galactica, playing like the main character's dad is awesome. And he's still so badass. Like Edward James Olmos, like every once in a while on the show, like he just plays this. Oh, yeah, I'm just I'm just a father working in my little meat shop and blah, blah. But every once in a while, Somebody comes close to crossing a line that to him is no, no, no. And he goes a little dark. And whenever James almost goes dark, you feel it. And it's awesome. Yeah, I, I really like Mayans MC. I didn't think season three had all that much of it. I've heard a lot of people say that they feel like season three had a real tone difference. I didn't sense that myself. Um Personally, I, I thought it felt pretty consistent with the other seasons. I thought it was very good. I I was a little unsatisfied with the ending of season three because you guys know, like to me, Supernatural handled their seasons perfectly. Every season had its own story. And then at, by the end of that season, they wrapped up that story and then introduced in the season finale what was going to be the story for the next season. It was perfect. So you got to, as a Supernatural fan, you would get to the end of a season and you felt totally satisfied because they wrapped up the story they had been telling all season and then teased and opened up the door for what next season will be about. I I won't give any spoilers away for those of you who haven't started watching Mayans MC yet. I was, while I really enjoyed the season, I really enjoyed the season, 
I was very dissatisfied as a viewer of their season finale. Cause it's like, they've been doing this story all year and then they ended it on kind of a cliffhanger without any resolution to the story they had been telling for the year. And by the way, Douglas Armstrong uh, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Douglas. Appreciate that, man. As does the harsh truth. I like that name. The harsh truth also sends in a super chat badge. Thanks guys. Um, so yeah, at, at any rate, um, great season, really enjoyed it. Liked every episode. I liked the new characters they brought in. I liked the development of the existing characters. The only storyline I really didn't like in season three was Coco. Like every time Coco's story was on screen, Anne and I would be like, ah, why are they wasting time on this totally useless story? Anyway, but other than that, I love the season. Just was not satisfied with the season ending. Because I felt like my reward for watching the whole season was blue balls you know i hate it when a tv show when a tv show gives you blue balls and it's like ah yeah you watched all year and we're not giving you the conclusion of of what this story was this year you gotta wait till next year to get the conclusion of it i don't know i don't like that and i know a lot of shows do it i just don't like that but that's just me but still love the show i will watch it when it comes back for sure all right next up we got jesse who writes and then we'll wrap up here with jesse uh and jesse writes uh one of three Hey, John, did you see the finale of Chicago PD? I did. I I actually, that's one of the few shows I do watch. I really do like Chicago PD. It's just the characters. I really like the characters. Anyway, uh, if not, I'll try to get to my point across as spoiler-free and uh, non-political as possible. We know that Hank Voigt, who's the main character of the show, and I really like this character, Hank Voigt is a less-than-ethical man, and I love that part of his character. I think it makes him very interesting to watch, but with the climate in our country today, do you think people want to see the leader of the intelligence unit be a man who is, we'll say, fast and loose with the law? And if you did see it, no spoilers, I know Hank has done far worse things in the past, but times have changed both in the real world and in the show. Do you think after what happened in the finale, Hank can go back to being seen as a hero? I mean, well, listen, so Chicago PD is a really, really interesting situation because they are a cop show, right? And then with all of the unrest that we had last year, over the George Floyd incident, what have you. It obviously, you know, it put police in a real spotlight, but it also, for our for our purposes, it put police in movies and TV shows really under a spotlight. It really put the fictional police that we have in movies and TV shows really under a microscope. And understandably so. I get it. I get it. What was really interesting, though, was that the season finale of Chicago PD uh, of the, of the previous season was already filmed before the George Floyd incident happened. And in the season finale in the, in the final big story of Chicago PD of that season, it was all about um, it was all about racism. And, you know, one of the main characters is, is this is this, um, uh, uh, he was a, a, what was the name? What was the word for it? I can't remember the specific name for it for this type of police officer, but he's a foot patrolman who became a part of the intelligence agency. Um, and he's this black dude and we see his progression. So now he's like this, you know, member of the, of the intelligence unit and stuff like that. But he witnesses a black kid 
being murdered by one of his fellow cops. And it wasn't a good shoot. It was totally motivated by racism. And so now he's got a bunch of white cops that are telling him not to testify against this other white cop because, you know, the cops all got to stick together. But they killed this kid for no reason and it destroyed their family. And so he's got to come out and testify. And the whole season is the season finale is about this. And you and you would be forgiven if you were watching it and thinking, oh, they made this in response to all the unrest that started as a result of the George, George Floyd situation. When in reality, they had already shot that. So it was almost prophetic in some way. So where Chicago PD, and I thought this was very, very interesting. Chicago PD in this new season brought it about that it's a new era of policing, right? That they've got to do things more by the rule book and the old way of doing things can't be done that way anymore. And so you got this main character, Hank Voigt, who is all about protect Chicago by any means necessary. I mean, the entire series, Chicago PD, the series, the pilot episode starts with this old abandoned, you know, warehouse factory area with nobody else around. And this cop car pulls out and Hank Voigt gets out of the cop car, pulls out some kind of criminal in the back, uh, out of the back of his car and makes him get on his knees. And you think he's going to shoot this guy and execute him right there. And it ends with Voigt saying, you get on a bus and you get out of Chicago. And if I ever see you again, you ain't going to breathe anymore or something like that. Right? Like that's how, that's how Chicago PD starts. And now we get into this new season where it's like, Hank Voigt, this this grizzled old like vet cop, he is trying to embrace reforming. But this season ends when he's put back into a situation where to do what he feels is right is going to require him to break some rules. And it's it's uh, one of the things I really like about this show is that they don't pretend that complex and difficult topics and complex and difficult issues should just be easily addressed. There are a lot of other shows that would just throw out some platitudes and, and you know, just address the issue and, and pretend like they're addressing it really is easy. What I respect about the way Chicago PD has handled it is that it doesn't pretend like any of the issues are anything less than radically, radically complex. And there's no one standard answer to a lot of the problems that these characters face. And I really respect the way they've done that. And so, and it's one of those things where I'm not a viewer who expects I want the characters to do what I think is the right thing to do. No, no, no. I watch these stories to see what these characters do. And characters may do the right thing. They may do the wrong thing. They may do something I would do. They may do something I wouldn't do. But I'm not one of these losers who watches TV shows to only because I want these characters to do exactly what I would want them to do. No, no, no. Tell a story, put characters in uncomfortable situations, make them face difficult dilemmas, make them make hard choices and decisions. Maybe ones that they'll regret. Maybe ones that I'd agree with. Maybe ones I disagree with. I just want to see you tell a good story. And I feel like this show does a very good job of doing that. And that's kind of why I still tune in. That's why I tune in. All right. You know what? I said that would be the last one, but let's take one more. 
Um, actually, you know what? No, we are out of time. Oh, you know what? Let me do, let me do one more though. Let me do one more. Um, um, I don't know if I can find it. Hold on a second. Uh, uh, oh, let me see if I can find it. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to, um, hold on a second. But the, the reason I'm doing, I'm trying to find this, um, Hold a second. This is going badly. Oh, this is going really badly. I cannot find the thing I'm looking for. Okay, let me try it again. There we go. Okay, sorry. I want to do one more because on what happened was on yesterday, on Friday's The John Campia Show, I picked up the live comments and questions one question too late. So I actually missed the one we were supposed to start with, and it got left behind. So we are, this one comes to, into us from Roy Hobbs. And Roy Hobbs writes, uh, did you see uh, Stephen Colbert's Snyder Cut episode sketch they just posted on YouTube? Pretty funny, and they took a chance to say, to say suck at Warner Brothers, which I'm sure was fun to do. Uh, no, I haven't seen it. I'm going to see it, which is funny because I do watch a bunch of Colbert. I do like Colbert. Uh, I've liked him ever since he was, you know, doing the Colbert rapport and stuff like that. And, uh, and I do like the character. So I'll watch some Colbert every once in a while. I don't watch it on a regular basis, but I no, I did not see that. Listen, I'll be honest with you too. I'm completely over the whole, everything that has to do with Snyderverse. I'm all about Zack Snyder and what he's going to do with his career moving forward, but I'm so over every all that other stuff that I really don't care about it. So, no, I have not seen that one yet myself personally. All right. I wanted to make sure we address that because it got skipped on yesterday's show. So now we are all kind of all right, guys. There are still more questions to come, but do not worry. We will get picked up on Monday. Uh, on the John Campus show with all of them. By the way, guys, don't forget, you can, you don't have to wait until there's a show that's live. If you want to have a live comment or question put on the show, you can set it in any time. Just use the tip link that's in the description of this video, or you, you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. The earlier you send them in, the earlier they get read. So a special thank you to all you guys who send them in. Number one, because it gives great fun things to talk about. But number two, you actually support this channel as you did it, as did all of you guys who sent in those super chat badges in the live chat while we were doing the show live. Thank you so much for that, guys. I really appreciate that. And everybody who works on this channel appreciates it as well. Okay, guys, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your weekend. Maybe you got some Memorial Day plans. Maybe you're one of our international friends where it's just a regular weekend for you guys. Wherever it is you guys are and whatever it is you guys are doing, I hope you have a safe, relaxing, and enjoyable couple of days ahead of you. And make sure you come back and join us again for the John Campus Show with me and Robert Meyer Burnett on Monday. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye. Hey, Mike. Glad you could join me for some great seafood. Me too. Wait, why are you dressed in fishing gear? You said we were going out to catch great seafood, right? Yes, to Popeye's. Do you even know how to fish? No, I thought you did. Oh, yeah. I could catch pretty good seafood at Popeye's. Let's go. Let Popeye's do the fishing while you enjoy our delicious signature seafood. Get Popeye's flounder fish sandwich or shrimp tackle box before they're gone. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. <laughs>